Hello, hello, and welcome to Reality Hacker. <clears throat> Season 1, Episode 6, for February 10th, 2024. This covers the week preceding today. So, there's a previous episode. All of this and more is going to get launched this weekend um, as the podcast, Reality Hacker. It'll all still get housed over on YouTube under the hometown name but it'll have a playlist called Reality Hacker, which it should have now. Um, and the same thing is gonna happen for um, the continuity report, which is about movies. But today we've got 10 articles, all focused on AR, VR, augmented reality, um, mixed reality, uh, <laughs> AI, deep fakes, uh, video, uh, all kinds of manipulation kind of stuff and techniques and sometimes the sociological forces of it, the anthropological forces of it, um, society. So society and technology are intim intimately connected. Reality Hacker focuses it a little bit on things like AR. Um, so I am Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com and up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that keeps Marijuana out of trouble. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Welcome to Reality Hacker. So the 10 articles that we're going to go through, here is our playlist. Space Dog, Mass Transit Monitoring, Meeting Deepfakes, Pick and Pack, AR Round Table. I couldn't do that any other way. A round table. They're learning AI ID. Real-time AI surveillance, the AI reality check, and not if, when. That and more context as we go through the articles. And so I don't have a new transition yet, so I basically play hometowns. So I'll see you on the other side of this. So the first article that we're going to talk about today is an astronaut controls a robotic dog from orbit. Swedish astronaut Marcus Wandt uh, took control of a series of robots in Germany while on board the International Space Station, zipping around the Earth at 28,000 kilometers per hour or about 17,500 miles per hour. Researchers want to understand how time delays can affect the remote control of robots from an orbiting platform, which just kind of screams creepy. Um... Future astronauts could control rovers uh, on the moon or Mars from a spacecraft in orbit. Until now, only wheeled vehicles, rovers, <clears throat> have been part of the test, but now they've added a dog-like robot called Bert. I'm waiting for Ernie. The uh, article I don't know is... where he is. <laughs> this definitely looks like a Bert. Nancy Atkinson from Universe Today. That is a website too, universetoday.com. Um, posted the article, but it's over at fizz.org. It might be at Universe Today too, but the robot research session called Surface Avatar follows initial experiments carried out in July of 2023. Want operated the bots from a control station in the space station's Columbus module, commanding three different robots at the German Space Agency DLR Robotics and Mechatronics Center in Oberfahnhofen. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Oberfahnhofen. There we go. 
Um, so, um, yeah, in Germany. Sorry. The uh, goal is to develop innovative technologies that will allow humans to control several robots with precision and have them act semi or fully autonomously and even have different robots perform a task together. Um, what's interesting is I didn't plan this, but the next article actually describes what is capable <laughs> um, with one operator. Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with this. I don't think we haven't read the article yet. Future stations on the moon and Mars, including astronaut habitats will be built and maintained by robots operating under the guidance of astronauts said, uh, uh, Alin Albu Schaffer, um, director of the DLR Institute of Robotics and Mechatronics in a DLR article. Quote, our latest controls and AI algorithms enable a single astronaut to command an entire team of different robots. Our DLR ESA team is a world leader when it comes to this technology. So they talk about it quite a bit more, but essentially they tested this out um, and uh, gathered some intelligence about just what is capable uh, from space to command robots. I mean, this is really incredible. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so <laughs> I could send in robots to do. A, what is this one back there? That's the. What is this one? This blue one back here. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it like wants to be Optimus Prime or something, but I'm not sure it's there. But it looks more like one of those bucket vacs from Home Depot, you know? It, it, yeah. It looks like a, a wet dry vac. This looks like a Bert. <laughs> you know, when you see this walking <laughs> towards you, you're like, hey, Bert. <laughs> but this, this beast back here, that one, that one, I don't know. I don't, it looks like it has hands little grippers that I want to know more about that one <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's interesting um, I'm not sure what the response time was I don't think it really mentions the response time it says two seconds um, but I don't know how accurate that really is you know do they want to divulge what the response time would be but two seconds can make a difference um, so I uh, I think it's interesting, but that's all I can really say about it. I'm surprised that they don't already have a beat on this, considering how much time people spend in space. Why not? Why hasn't there been people, you know, doing robot things, <laughs> remote robot things? But OK, exactly. I guess it wasn't priority. Well, now we're going to have people from on high sending bots in to go do various deeds. I mean, if we're not in a simulation, I don't know what to say. It's so weird, right? Dystopian. Uh, the next article is over in Technology Today. I'm not going to do the transitions. Not for um, not for Reality Hacker. Sorry about that. So uh, in Technology Today, one person can supervise a swarm of 100 unmanned autonomous vehicles, research shows. So take that space dog. Now there's a hundred of them. A person can monitor these autonomous vehicles, give them a command, they'll go and do it. And then they'll stop and they'll, you have to give them another command. 
it's basically a top-down game where you're telling things where to go and and do this that or the other research involving organsy good that seems like a video game or something though exactly yeah um what was that what was the one that um you like to play well it was command and control i think command and control yeah command and conquer command and conquer oh Um, sorry yeah so um research involving oregon state university has shown that a swarm of more than 100 autonomous ground and aerial robots can be supervised by one person without subjecting the individual to an undue workload (laughs) well Steve Lundberg from Oregon State University put this article together. It's over at techexplore.com. The findings represent a big step toward efficiently and economically using swarms in a range of roles from the wildland firefighting to package delivery to disaster response in urban environments. Quote, we don't see a lot of delivery drones yet in the United States, but there are companies that have been deploying them in other countries, said Julie A. Adams of the OSU College of Engineering. Uh, Quote, it makes business sense to deploy uh, delivery drones at a scale, but it will require a single person to be responsible for a very large number of these flying drones. Um, And they're saying, uh, they say they're not saying that their work is a final solution that shows everything is okay, but it is the first step toward getting additional data that would facilitate that kind of a system. Huh. What Um, could go uh, wrong here? Yeah, really. Other researchers deployed swarms of up to 250 autonomous vehicles, multi-rotor air drone, uh, yeah, aerial drones, and ground rovers able to gather information in concrete canyon, urban surroundings where line of sight satellite-based communication is impaired by buildings. The information the swarms collect during their mission at military urban training sites have the potential to help keep U.S. troops and civilians more safe. I agree. Um, I had actually written a paper on using drones for long-term surveillance of a given area, typical combat theater, uh, because IEDs had been such a a troublesome, to say the least, um, concern in certain theaters um, that I felt that it would be prudent to have aerial surveillance of a large area (coughs) and then track full time, real time where the roads are. And then people dig it up, plant an IED and then walk off. Well, not only do I want to send somebody out to diffuse that IED, but I want somebody to go out and find the person that planted it. And right. You want to be able to track it back to the source. Yeah. Yeah. And so it would basically monitor long-term. Nothing ever came of it, uh, but it is what it is. Maybe somebody will be interested in it some other time. Um, It's military is dangerous. So, yep. Anyway, um, let's keep going. This article I didn't post over into the show notes. So there you go. You can vote for it, though. It's already available for you to vote. Um, The next article is over in Warcrafters. Financial worker attends company meeting with deep fakes of senior colleagues and is duped into transferring the scammers $26 million. I was shocked. (laughs) 
a finance employee. I mean, how does this happen? This is not like a little, oh, you sent $5 to the, the scam charity or something. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, well, it made $25.6 million since for somebody, but a financial employee at an unnamed major multinational corporation has been fooled into transferring 200 million Hong Kong dollars or around 25.6 million US dollars to scammers using deepfake technology to impersonate his colleagues. The AI created simulacra of the man's fellow workers, included a deepfake of the company's chief financial officer, and Hong Kong police say the scam took place via a video conference call. They invited the person <laughs> into the meeting and then uh, coaxed them into um, transferring to multiple accounts upwards of $26 million. Rich Stanton over at PCGamer.com put the article together. Um, because people in the video conference looked like the real individual's concerned, the worker made 15 transactions as instructed to five local bank accounts which came to a total of 200 million Hong Kong dollars. turns out that everyone the worker saw was fake. Quote, I believe the fraudster downloaded videos in advance and then used artificial intelligence to add fake voices within the video conference. Amazing. He said the incident began in January when the worker received a message purporting to be from the company's UK-based CFO. For me, I would have verified that before I got into a meeting. <laughs> right. Couldn't he have reached out to the CFO and said, I mean, if he, yeah. if anything was suspect about it. Yeah. I would have forced a, an actual phone call and say, okay, you need to send me an email that verifies that I'm doing this and it's authorized and so on and so forth. And it has to come from your email address and so much more. Right. And be digitally signed or whatever. Yeah. Hey, tell my boss. Yeah, I'm your boss. Yeah, but you're trying to rush me to give you $26 million. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you'd think there might be a few checks and balances at that value. Exactly. Chan is from the Hong Kong Police Department's uh, Cybersecurity Division. And as regards the deepfake technique, he said, I believe the fraudster downloaded videos in advance and then manipulated them. Um, the worker made the transactions as requested. Officer Chan said that after the conference call, the worker contacted the company's head office and realized it had been a scam. Um, they Can actually, you imagine how you feel when you're the worker? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, whoops, I, I just lost $26 million. I did what? Um, so they're actually seeing in Hong Kong an uptick in this technology being used. Um, additionally, unfortunately for this worker, um, they suspected something, but they still went through with it. And that's the troubling part of it. If you feel that something is wrong, verify. You can trust, but verify. Um, Chan also offered an interesting, if more low level example of how deepfake technology is being used in the region by talking about stolen, stolen identity cards. If you live in Hong Kong, it's mandatory to have an ID card from age 11. Now people are using artificial intelligence um, to basically fake the Hong Kong ID cards. And they said eight stolen Hong Kong ID cards made 90 loan applications and registered for 54 bank accounts over a period of just three months. Not bad. 
I mean, you could do a lot of damage with this. I think this is a problem where it's such a universal piece of identity, right? Because it can translate into so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to get more and more difficult out there. And we'll get to an article that talks about it a little bit more. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. This article, hold on one second. Um, this article is titled a robot that can pick up objects and drop them in a desired location in an unfamiliar house. <laughs> um, this is kind of, does cute. that mean you take them to another house or <laughs> is it unfamiliar to begin with? It's unfamiliar to begin with. And so they learn how to do something. <clears throat> oh, or no, sorry. There's a, there was a joke about the bus stop thing, but I'm going to, I won't joke. Um, so a team of roboticists at New York University working with a colleague from AI at Meta um, had has developed a robot that is capable of picking up designated objects in an unfamiliar room and placing them in a new designated location. In their paper posted on the archive preprint server, the team describes how the robot was programmed and how well it performed when testing in multiple real-world environments. The article right there um, is by Bob Yurka, Tech Explorer on TechExplorer.com. Um, so there's a command. Okay, robot, move the talkies on the desk to the nightstand. And so it basically learned what everything was and then went and did it. <laughs> the researchers noted the visual language models or VLMs have progressed a great deal over the past several years and have become very good at recognizing objects based on language prompts. They also pointed out that the robot skills have improved as well. It can grasp things without breaking them, carry them to desired locations and set them down. But thus far, little has been done to combine VLMs with skilled robots. Till now, apparently. Um, <clears throat> they suspect the success rate could be improved by tweaking and perhaps by using a more sophisticated robot. They conclude that the that uh, by suggesting that their work could be used as a first step toward advancing BLM based robots. So, I mean, this is really big, right? Because it's recognizing the objects, right? That's that to me is the fundamental piece of this. It's not the movement. I mean, I guess they have to recognize the two locations too, right? They have to recognize what's the item. They have to recognize the origin location and the destination location. Yeah, and you have to tell them, hey, go into this room. Okay, where well, where is that room? Do I know what that room is? Maybe they have to ask a question, get somebody else to open the door, that kind of a thing. They get into the room. They go, oh, okay, here is what I'm looking for, and they grab it and take it somewhere where it's known. Take it from this counter, put it over in this counter. It's basically having a child, you know, that's learning responsibility and, and uh, accepting tasks from, you know, mom and dad. Go and, or parent. Um, go and do X. Okay. <coughs> Find it pretty interesting. That's why I included it in this. Um, pretty neat. But we have another. Um, we have uh, a, a couple of object based issues here. Or AR, uh, augmented reality, AI, machine learning, etc. Um, this next article, though, is uh, in Reality Hacker. AR smart glasses, expert roundtable, XR glasses or devices are all over the headlines this month. The release of Apple Vision Pro has brought spatial computing and mixed reality wearables to the forefront of emerging workplace and uh, consumer-based digital solutions. Pardon me one second. 
So I mean, there's a lot of buzz about smart glasses with the Vision Pro release. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, Rory Greener over at XRToday.com put this article together. It says, however, AR glasses are uh, already riding a solid wave of usage in various markets due to the history of respectable adoption rates and a few years of mainstream enterprise and consumer marketplace presence. AR smart glasses can come with many benefits that boost the hardware market as a source of reliable workplace tools, notably small form factors, simple UIs, accessibility. So what's the potential B2B use cases for AR? Uh, this says here they have a, a few people, bingo woo, AR glasses offer immense potential across various B2B applications, two areas that they see great potential is tourism and education. Um, my problem with this is unless everybody has their own AR glasses, uh, swapping these AR glasses with people post pandemic seems like it's going to be fraught with concern. Um, Betsy Gilbert says for AR mixed reality, smart glasses, healthcare, manufacturing and engineering, field service, logistics and warehousing, training and upskilling. All of those I totally agree with. Um, I would love that somebody has all of my data on their glasses when they come to treat me in some healthcare setting um, and that it isn't paper and I want their hands free. So, you know, not necessarily holding a tablet or running around with a cow. Um, so a cow is a computer on wheels. They're typical in hospitals so that you can run around and do intake while somebody's in the ED or something like that. Manufacturing and engineering, I think it's brilliant because it can actually, you can look around with augmented reality glasses and it could tell you where there might be maintenance related issues because somebody didn't, you know, trigger the maintenance record for that spot. They can just walk over and do something. Um, or other sensors literally just sending their signal to the augmented reality glasses saying there's a flaw here, there's an issue here, whatever. Um, same thing with uh, field service, real-time data being provided in your field of view. You don't have to sit there and look away and, and check reference material. It's right there in front of you. Um, and the same thing as we go through it. All the information needs to be just provided in your field of view. Not so to be obtrusive, but provides the answers without to you be accessible. To yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and uh, they have a few other people that are talking about this. Um, it's quite expansive. So I would encourage you to go and check it out. One of the things that they mentioned, though, is um, <clears throat> what's affecting the acceleration of widespread smart glass adoption in enterprises. I'd say ecosystem. Uh, I don't know what they're going to say in here. Interested in incorporating AR, MR, smart glasses into transformative business plans is increasing. Um, however, there are a few issues that continue to be raised. Limited li battery life can hinder it. Um, another consideration centers around the weight and feel of the glasses. I don't think those two are really going to be a concern. What needs to really take place is an ecosystem that provides efficient, reliable, user-friendly uh, interaction with whatever it is they're doing in the enterprise. Um, yeah, I don't know. God, there's a lot of talking about this because it is a round table of uh, AR, MR um, experts. So um, leaders from Arvizio, 
Ray Neo, Realware, Wise AR discuss emerging B2B uh, smart glasses trends and uh, use cases. You doing okay over there? Yes. Just reconfiguring something. Gotcha. Um, oh, I didn't throw this into the chat. So did you want to say anything about this? Uh, I think this one is interesting because it's one of the few that I've seen that talks about all of the applications, right? We see yeah. a lot about AR and it's tied to gaming or maybe kind of standard office work, but this one seems to go well beyond that. Yeah, it talks about retail, healthcare, supply chain, doing stuff in Teams or Zoom. Um, I'm actually hoping that I can replace at least three of my monitors with um, glasses and I'll be streaming and it'll just be the camera sitting in front of me instead of um, a bunch of monitors because I run two computers and so I've got monitors right there and monitors right there. It's big, it's clunky. I want to be able to just set them down and there's nothing obtrusive in my way. I can see the world around me. I get radiation burns from a bunch of monitors. Um, so they even talk about Unity, Unreal Engine um, being integrated into the design process. Um, Yassine uh, Akiak, I, I hope I'm pronouncing their last name properly, but they talk about encryption and authentication, authorization, pins, biometric, uh, data, compliance, secure APIs, etc. That They want to address the data security concerns, but if I have glasses on that shows all of my information, it's only showing it to me. So it, it's pretty brilliant. I could have a plain text password typing on the virtual screen because nobody's going to see it but me. Um, I actually want to mod it. I wanted to modify glasses so that I would put on glasses and they're polarized in a specific way so that the monitors that I have are polarized in another way. So only I see the screens when I'm looking at it. Um, uh, it's not as easy as how I wanted to do it. But anyway, it can be done. So yeah, they talk about all kinds of stuff uh, in this article, particularly adoption and what it can be used for and security. Uh, but we've touched on all of it a little bit. So let's keep on going unless you want to add more. No, I don't have anything else. Gotcha. So the next article is over in Technology Today. Adaptive robot can open all the doors. So now we have a robot that can open all the doors and another one that can find stuff and take it somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, what else do we need? We just need it to be able to move up and down stairs and it'll be able to do everything. Yeah, right now, both of those are only on wheels, so it's a little tough to get upstairs, but make them bipedal and they'll be walking upstairs in no time. Uh, Why you, Zhang, Russell Mendonca, Kenneth Shaw, and Deepak Bathak describe the training method in a paper posted on the archive preprint server. Much of the research involving in teaching robots to perform tasks involved training in a laboratory setting. Um, this new study, the researchers suggested that the only way to train robots is under real world conditions. And to that end, they developed an adaptive learning approach that allows the robot to learn by starting with a limited knowledge base and adding to it through hands-on experience uh, an internship on opening doors. To test their ideas, the research team built their own four-wheeled robot with a single arm and a clasp or grasper. And um, 
its sole purpose was to figure out how to open the door and get out. And it did. So it had a 95% success rate. That's probably better than humans. <laughs> yeah. From zero? Yeah. In fact, I had a very posh uh, British gentleman pop out of a bathroom stall uh, when I was in New Orleans and ask me to be a gentleman and assist him. Uh, to which my face apparently tied itself in a knot because here in the States, we typically don't have any conversation in the bathroom, at least men's bathroom. I hear there's rumors that in other bathrooms, people are throwing parties and having a grand old time. There's like couches and um, concerts and stuff like that. Anyway, and there's some dispenser in there that gives you, never mind. Anyway, so uh, this very posh, well-dressed, handsome gentleman pops out and asks me to be a gentleman and help him with something in his stall. Uh, I come to find out though, that really it was just trying to figure out how to lock it. So if it takes two adult grown men to figure out how to lock somebody's bathroom stall, this bot just outshone us. <laughs> um, but he actually, he figured it out immediately after I told him, just push the button. Don't try to turn it. Just push the button. Hey, we're not all robots that learn on the fly. Yeah, there's nothing you can say, huh? I don't know what to say to that. I just think the robots are clearly going to take over everything <laughs> based on that story. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, the next article is over in the Warcrafter channel. An experimental AI wearable recognizes objects and tells visually impaired users details of what they're holding. I think this is awesome. Um, while technology has often been sought to improve the lives of people living with disabilities, creative AI implementations may be the next logical step. The universe, or sorry, the National University of Singapore has been demonstrating an experimental new wearable. And thanks to the AI helping hand and some creative use of existing technologies, it hopes to transform the existence of daily life with a visual impairment. So basically the a sensor array sees the object and then translates that into something that is identified and then tells the person who's visually impaired, you're holding this. AI recognition and bone conduction technology unites in the name of accessibility. Andy Edzer over at PC Gamer put this article together and it's a, it's an, a, a, a service solution called AIC spelled the letter A letter I, but I guess you say it like I see. Yeah. Um, the wearable device can be worn around the back of the neck like a regular set of headphones you might use for fitness, but hidden in the forward-facing section of the chassis is a 13-megapixel camera. This is according to New Atlas. I don't know that source. Um, when the user picks up an item, they can take a photo of it using a button on the side of the device before the image is then... Um, before that image is then processed using onboard microprocessor and beamed to a cloud network using the internal wireless connection, which then uses AI algorithms to analyze the size, shape, color, and any visible text. Pretty fascinating. 
Um, and then it just basically says, hey, this is what you're holding. Um, makes use of an internal lithium battery pack. Doesn't require a link to a smartphone or any other device to work. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I dig this. I mean, these are all together. These are really going to make some vast improvements for quality of life for people. I agree. There's another, uh, I've been seeing it in the news, but I don't know if we've, if anything has aggregated it yet, if, if um, Gatherer has aggregated it yet, but it's a, like a high school student is supposedly has come up with a visor that looks like Jordy LaForge's visor, but it scans the area using LIDAR. And oh, I haven't seen that one yet. People with um, poor vision know what's in front of them. Um, I thought that was pretty brilliant too. So, uh, but some of these things are kind of clunky. So I guess we'll see what shakes out later on. Um, if it doesn't, if it isn't cost effective and approachable and easy, um, then things tend to just kind of dry up and uh, we don't talk about them anymore. Uh, this article though needs to get put into the discussion board. So there you go. Did you want to add anything to this? No, I don't have anything else. Gotcha. Uh, the next article is over in Reality Hacker as well. London Underground is testing real-time AI surveillance tools to spot crime. In a test at one station, Transport for London used a computer vision system to try and detect crime and weapons, people falling on the tracks, fare dodgers, all of it documented by, um, by documents op uh, obtained by Wired. Um, the article is over at wired.com. Uh, the author of this is Matt Burgess. Uh, the deck statement is what I just read, but so from October, 2022 until the end of September, 2023, London for, tra sorry, transport for London or TFL, which operates the city's tube and bus network tested 11 algorithms to monitor people passing through Wellesden green tube station in the northwest of the city, right next to Harry Potter. <laughs> it might be next to platform nine and three quarters. That's right. Um, as I said to a couple of people, don't just go charging towards a, a pillar. They're not all. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're not all doorways. So more than 44,000 alerts were issued during the test, 19,000 being delivered to station staff in real time. Documents sent to Wired in response to a Freedom of Information Act request uh, detail how TFL used a wide range of computer vision algorithms to track people's behavior while they were at the station. It is the first time the full details of the trial have been reported, and it follows TFL saying in December that it will expand its use of AI to detect fare dodging to more stations across Brit the British capital. But there's a it's pretty prolific surveillance is pretty prolific in the UK. Uh, in it the is. trial, it, they have it almost on every street, right? At least in London. Yeah, it seems pretty pretty popular. Um, the station had twenty five thousand visitors per day before the COVID nineteen pandemic. The IA system was the AI system was set up to detect potential safety incidents to allow staff to help people in need, but it also targeted criminal and antisocial behavior. Three documents provided to Wired detail how AI models were used to detect wheelchairs, prams, vaping, people accessing unauthorized areas or putting themselves in danger by getting close to the edge of the train platforms. Um, 
I don't read these things verbatim for the show, uh, but I do read the material later. Um, during the London trial, algorithms trained to detect certain behaviors or movements were combined with images from the underground station 20-year-old CCTV cameras, analyzing imagery every tenth of a second. When the system detected one of 11 behaviors or events identified as problematic, it would issue an alert to station staff, iPads, or a computer. TFL staff received 19,000 of these potentially act on alerts and another 25,000 kept for analytics purposes. Interesting. I mean, this could do some really good things, right? Maybe prevent somebody from falling off the tracks, but I sense some other things could go wrong with this. Well, the senior ad uh, advocacy officer at privacy focus group Big Brother Watch says that many tube travelers will be disturbed to learn that the authorities subjected people to AI powered surveillance. But why? People don't care. They, they really don't until it affects them and then all hell breaks loose. Stone says that using an algorithm to determine whether someone is aggressive or deeply flawed and points out that the UK's data regulator has warned against using emotion analysis technologies. Yeah. Just because I look like I'm irritated doesn't mean I'm irritated. Now I'm irritated because you sit there and poke me about being irritated. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to commit a crime. Definitely. If you're irritated. Right. But if I'm really irritated, I might. Fair dodging uh, costs up to $130 million a year, TFL says. And there were 26,000 fare evasions um, during the trial. During all of the tests, images of people's faces were blurred and data was kept for a maximum of 14 days. However, six months into the trial, the TFL decided to unblur the images of faces that people were suspected of not paying, and it kept that data for longer. It was originally planned, the documents say, for staff to respond to the fair dodging alerts. However, due to a large number of daily alerts in some days, over 300, and the high accuracy of detections, they configured the system to auto-acknowledge the alerts. Uh, So there's more over at this article. I'll just follow the link. Um, I find it really interesting that London Underground is testing real-time AI surveillance tools to spot crime. And more than that, I suspect. This is what we're being told about. <laughs> Not to be conspiratorial, but we don't all get all of the data. Did you want to add anything to that? I think it's going to be interesting to see anybody gets picked up on camera for something they don't want to be and then it'll again i think overall compared to what else is in place in that city it doesn't seem like it's anything more invasive but again i think it's going to pick up things that aren't criminal or people right. that don't want to be on camera right yeah yeah, there's going to be somebody there with somebody that they don't want to be seen with and it's going to turn into a thing. Um, it just seems creepy to me, but let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Technology Today. A reality check. When lab-trained AI meets the real world, mistakes can happen. Mistakes. Contamination of tissue samples can mislead AI models, preventing them from making accurate diagnoses uh, in real world situations. Um, this is just one uh, of these real-world situations that can be mitigated by a human. Northwestern University, but see, humans make more errors than a bot would make once the bot becomes more sophisticated. Agreed. 
Um, so they say here, human pathologists undergo rigorous training to identify instances where tissue samples from one patient are accidentally placed on microscope slides meant for another patient, a mistake referred to as tissue contamination. Why does that happen? However, this type of contamination poses a significant challenge for artificial intelligence models, which are typically developed in clean, controlled settings, according to a recent study by Northwestern Medicine. The reason why a human would know is because they're the dipshit that made the contamination possible. So they can fix right. it right away. A human, That's I don't true, think, would be able to But the AI know. doesn't have any way to know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So teach it how to detect dipshits contaminating the plate. We train AIs to tell us A versus B is a very clean or in a very clean artificial environment, but in real life, the AI will see a variety of materials that it hasn't trained on. When it does, mistakes can happen, said corresponding author, Dr. Jeffrey Goldstein, director of perinatal pathology and an assistant professor of perinatal pathology and autopsy at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. So in the new study, scientists trained three AI models to scan microscope slides of placenta tissue, um, detect blood vessel damage, estimate gestational age, and classify, classify macroscopic lesions. They trained a fourth AI model to detect prostate cancer and tissue uh, collected from needle biopsies. Yikes. Uh, when the models were ready, the scientists exposed each one to small portions of contaminant tissue bladder, blood, etc., that were randomly sampled from other slides. Finally, they tested the AI's reactions, and I guess it all went bananas. So the findings were recently published in the journal Modern Pathology. Each of the four AI models paid too much attention to the tissue contamination, which resulted in errors when diagnosing or detecting vessel damage, gestational age, lesions, or prostate cancer, the study found. So contamination makes them go wonky. So I guess you know what the problem is. Well, right. I mean, I guess, like, let's avoid the tissue contamination or, like you said, um, program it to figure out or detect that contamination and then kind of set it to the side. Yeah. So they'll know. They have. I mean, they'll have to do that fine tuning, which I guess is fine. But this is this would I would assume would be the standard process to make your product better and better and better and better. Right. Right. Um, well, and also how long of a process is this? If it's something where it's running quickly, isn't there a person next to it anyway? Like, is it truly going over to AI without a person in the vicinity? I mean, that's what doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. And it doesn't really have any of that data here. Like how long it takes from, um, I guess, assessment to assessment. Yeah. I don't know. The article, though, uh, the sorry, the journal is Modern Pathology, and it's um, titled Tissue Contamination Challenges, the Credibility of Machine Learning Models in Real-World Digital Pathology. Um, interesting, you know? I mean, I think that AI can be superior because people make a mistake. Once the bot is, you know, 95% or better, I'd start trusting it, but right now I still don't trust just the AI. I don't know how long I'll be like beholden to that, but we'll see. Um, did you want to add anything? 
Uh, no, I mean, I think how we're seeing AI used in at least medical applications, it works well, I think, where you have the AI plus the human. As long as you have that, I'm not too concerned about this. But if you have the same human that made the error that caused the issue, are they going to pick up on the issue, which then means are they going to realize that the AI input is flawed? Right. Yeah, and you know, garbage in, garbage out. So if the AI is poorly trained, then the results are poorly uh, uh, what aligned with the truth. Uh, let's keep going. The last article for today is in the Mobile Channel. Don't be fooled. Oh, you'll be fooled by an AI deepfake this year. Um, I'm just going to go straight on over to Gizmodo. Maxwell Zeff is the author. The deck statement says deepfakes are blurring the lines of reality <laughs> uh, more than ever before. And they're likely uh, going to get a lot worse this year. Um, it, it's this just so lines up with the name of the show um, that I. Oh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you won't know who to trust at some point you're going to have we're going to have to develop authentication tools that are better than the AI generation of these same potential vectors for threats. Um, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like telling all of the good guys that you have to say this saying before you can get through the gate. Um, and I can't remember what it's called right now, but that, that's basically what you're going to have to do. Um, and there's somebody in my sphere of influence who has basically decided to do that. Like if they, everybody has basically disclosed to this person, something that can be, um, a secret identifier so that if the person says, Hey, I don't know if you're legit what's your code word they can say the code word oh wow are we at that point yet <laughs> <laughs> there is somebody in my universe where um, we've done this little exercise and it wasn't just a goof it was they were serious that they just stopped really trusting certain means of communication um so i found it really interesting that this article starts out with the deep fakes problem is going to get unstoppably worse and that deep fakes are blurring the lines of reality more than ever before. And they're likely going to get a lot worse this year. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse, um, mainly because the, our society hasn't caught up with the tech. Why won't this pause? Come on, man. So they're here to stay. Oh my gosh. CEO of Pindrop says, <laughs> I'm going to skip over that name, uh, which identified 11 labs as the service used to create the fake Biden robocall. Deep fake identification, sorry, deep fake detection technologies need to be adopted at the source, at the transmission point, and at the destination. It just needs to happen across the board. So this is coming out of this. We've had a couple of uh, discussions about this, that the Biden robocall took place um for it to even be of be made manifest somebody needs to be held accountable for it so where is their name it's like the missing ceo somebody had to sign actual legal documents exactly i mean that's the thing it's not like it just materializes 
Yeah, a spoofed Biden call that identifies the per the spoof as Biden and tries to be authentic is fraud, and it should be a felony. It should be a federal crime, particularly if you're pretending to be the president and you don't disclose that this is a fake robocall straight out of the gate. Um, it should be required, but we know money beats everything. So the FCC... Um, they are trying to ban... Oh, that's covered in here. I didn't realize. Yeah. That's okay. You can say it. Now the FCC is uh, making an effort to ban robocalls because of that. Yeah. And I think that that's true. Uh, robocalls should be banned outright. OpenAI introduced watermarks to Dolly's images this week, both visually and embedded in photos metadata. However, the company simultaneously acknowledged that it can be easily avoided by taking a screenshot. This is why I did not bother pursuing the two type of digital watermarking technologies that uh, me and my developer um, worked to make. Um, 30 years ago, I created a, a prototype device where you could take a picture from a highly polished chrome sphere and it would take a picture of the reflection and then mathematically it would unwind it and you'd have a panoramic. This is 30 years ago and I'm like, oh, then blah, 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 the technology, dot, dot, dot. Um, and sure enough, somebody actually did it um, years later. Um, I, um, I don't know, there's a bunch of things, instances like this. Um, but uh, this digital watermarking technology is easily stripped either the audio side of it or through the digital uh, photo side of it. Just, it can easily easily be removed. Um, there has to be something else. Uh, there just isn't anything. And I, again, I did this 30 years ago um, in audio, uh, digital watermarking and in video, digital watermarking and in photos, digital watermarking. It was easily stripped out no matter how sophisticated you make it. At some point, the objective becomes so friction bound that you might as well not even be able to sell your item. So this is going to be nothing and they acknowledge it right out of the gate. So it basically means nothing. It's going to stop the lowest hanging fruit and they're not the problem. Meanwhile, hey, it's the like the build a better mousetrap thing. Yeah. And I say that all the time, right? You build a better mousetrap and smarter mice show up and steal your cheese still. It, it's just the way that it is. Um, cybersecurity is basically that chasing round and round and round on the wheel. Um, so deepfake problem is only going to get worse. The solutions are not simply enough. Um, the uh, issue is that deepfake detection technology is new and is not catching on as quickly as generative AI. Platforms like Meta and the website formerly known as Twitter and even your phone company need to embrace deepfake detection. It's impossible. It's going to get more and more sensitive and the detection is going to still run afoul. It's going to do a false positive or a false negative. Um, it's going to wet the bed. Why? Because the deepfake technology is built off of the same technology that the deepfake detection is built off of. You know, we're just going to keep on reinventing this thing. It's right. Just it's gonna just going to be a vicious cycle, a vicious cycle. Yes. 
So uh, currently, deepfake detection is not 100% accurate for anything, according to CopyLeaks CEO uh, Alan Yeaman. His company is one of the better tools for detecting AI-generated text, but detecting AI speech and video is another challenge altogether. Deepfake detection is lagging generative AI, and it needs to ramp up fast. I don't believe this is anything. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. So um, that's a lot of this article, but there's always more over here um, at any article that we actually link to. So follow the link from the chat or the show notes over to Omtown. You can make a comment there if you so choose. You can sign up and become a citizen. Um, reply, subscribe. You can even favorite it. becomes part of a list. You can send the list to people. You can invite other people to Omtown. Um, all kinds of stuff. And once you become a citizen, you can actually save and ignore articles um, from the front page. So let's do that. We'll go back to the front page. Everybody get back into the party bus. And then we, I can just sit here and swipe things away. Um, when you go into hometown itself, you can swipe things away one way or another. It doesn't matter. Um, and it ends up in these little lists here, um, saved and ignored articles. Um, it's not in all of the individual, um, categories just yet, but it is on this main page at any rate. Um, that is it for reality hacker. It can always be found. You go over to hometown.com and then creative and maker and down to reality hacker. It'll load up 25 or 50 of the topics that are in the system. And um, you can keep on reading the news, even start up your own discussion. Once you are a citizen, um, heck I might even talk about your discussion. If you started up, most people that do frequent hometown are using it for the news aggregation side only. Um, every once in a while we get contact or discussions going, but, um, yeah, I use it for information overload and that information overload can be exacerbated by conversation. Um, and so I use it primarily to manage my headlines leading to source information for discussions in the fields of science technology and society okay so that's it i am mayor watt that is reality hacker and up there is the sentient ai's visualizer I'm gonna say i don't know pip pip jolly good pip pip jolly good oh whoa that's a first <laughs> good night hometown citizens <laughs> We will see you tomorrow for another episode of Hometown Daily plus the continuity report. And we might do it early so that everybody can watch the superb owl take flight. Cheers, everybody. The superb owl or super bowl. Either way, it's your pick. <laughs>